0: You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at Bethelcov.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, at, at Bethel this year, as our, our leaders have been meeting these last few weeks, we've been talking about how uh, we feel like God is leading us this year to focus on what it means to make disciples at, as a church. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it means to uh, follow him together. And so that's what we're focusing on these next uh, few weeks. And, and as I was thinking about this, um, <clears throat> the thing that just kept popping into my head is this, this summer, um, I was playing uh, ball with Foster outside. Foster loves to play ball Anything that's round and throwable is his best friend. And, and it's funny because I grew up, I was not um, particularly ball motivated as Foster is. I was not a particularly good athlete. If you've ever watched us play softball, you might have caught that hint. Um, and I remember like the one thing I know about teaching Foster how to hit and catch is, is there's just one rule, right? And it's keep your eye on the ball, And so I know that when I was a kid, people used to always yell that towards me. (laughs) So I I say that towards Foster, and I, I never realized how powerful that sentence is. Because if I'm playing catch with Foster, and I can get him to look at the ball starting in my hand until he catches it or hits it, he will hit it or catch it like every single time. But if I don't say keep your eye on the ball, uh, or if he gets distracted looking at his, his bat or his hands or the many things that he might look at instead of the ball, um, he will miss it, right, every single time. And it, it amazes me. I never realized why people say that because it's, it's like magic. If you just keep your eye on the ball, you know, if you just look at the ball when it's coming to you, like, you'll, you'll catch it. You'll catch it every time. It, it's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test it right now. So, see, do you see that? I didn't think that was going to work, but it couldn't have worked better. No, I, we don't want to test that. We don't want to <laughs> test that. Keep, keep your eye on the ball. And what's amazing about that, that sentence, I think it's actually um, really good advice for life. To, you know, and you hear this a lot, you know, people tell you in life, you know, you got to keep your eye on the ball, you got to focus on the thing that matters most, and you got to figure out what that is and focus on it, and, and it's really great advice, but but what I've discovered in my life is that um, everybody has a different ball <laughs> for you to look at, right? And so, uh, you know, some people say, and, and you know, you think about um, what it means to, um, you know, to be a good person, people tell you if you want to be a good person, you know, if you want to be a popular person, a beautiful person, an important person, a valuable person, a right person, a safe person, whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to kind of succeed at life, to make it in life, um, you got to keep your eye on the ball. And, and again, the trouble is that some people will say, the ball is voting for me. I also have to be able to throw good. Um, <laughs> Some people will say, uh, the ball is actually never voting for that candidate. Oh, man, we're having trouble. Or they'll say, actually, the thing is, you've got to not eat that kind of food. I don't have that strong an arm, guys. Sorry. Uh, They'll say, actually, the most important thing, don't worry about any of that other stuff. The most important thing is that, you know, you, you don't let your kids watch TV more than two hours a day. Uh, or maybe it's okay for them to watch. All oh, you wish. This, this is me trying. Oh, all right. Good job. Good job back there. Because everybody has a different idea of what that looks like. You know, some people will say that if you want to have a good life, you've got to go to church. Or you've got to clean up your life. Or you've got to be a better person. Or, or maybe um, you've got to stick up for this particular ideal. If I had a better arm, this would work so much better. Um, Some people will say that if you want to be good, if you want to be good enough, if you want to make it, you've got to, uh, you know, follow this um, set of rules or do these things for me. Good dodge. You saved me too. (laughs) Uh, Some people will say that if you want to have a good life, got to make sure you never eat any meat. And some people will say you only got to eat meat. And some people will say uh, as long as you don't eat carbohydrates, you're going to be okay. And some people will say that if you do this for me or you go to that place or you make that decision or you dedicate your life to this cause or that cause or the other thing that matters a whole lot, then you'll be okay. And I don't know about you, but what happens to me when I hear about all of these different balls... And when I uh, have friends and I have deep, uh, caring people that call me on the phone and say, hey, this is the most important thing you got to do, it gets overwhelming because there are so many important things. There are so many things that matter, right, more than anything else. There are so many balls to keep your eye on, and no matter how good you are at catching, you can't catch them all. Maybe Landon can. And so... So what happens in my life, and, and maybe in yours, is some of us, a lot of us, we pick a ball that matters the most, and we convince ourselves, you know, the most important thing is, is this idea that I have, and I'll, I'll base everything out of that. I'll ignore every other ball, and I'll focus on what I put into my body. Or I'll ignore every other ball and I'll keep my head down and I'll focus on uh, being great at my job. And some people, um, you know, we join the team and we say, you know, that job, that ball, whatever, is the most important thing and we tell everybody else, you know. Making sure that, um, you know, that politician is elected becomes the most important thing and everything else uh, falls under that. Uh, So some of us pick a ball, some of us get exhausted trying to chase all the different things. And, you know, every time we hear a new thing, for a while, I got really into, it's really important how much you sleep. And so you just, you know, oh, you got to make sure you're sleeping right and and eating enough and and whatever. Some of us chase them all. Some of us just give up and we say, well, I'm never going to figure out what it means to live a, a good life. So I might as well just quit chasing balls. You know, they say, oh, you know, they always tell us it's, you know, eating this way is better that way. But they're all contradictory, so I just won't care. I'll just do what feels good in the moment and then many of us, we just get exhausted. I don't know about you, but I get exhausted chasing after all these things that everybody I know seems to think is the most important thing. Uh, you know, trying to be good. Ooh, did you see that? <laughs> trying to be important, trying to be successful, trying to be happy, trying to be right. And if you're like me and you chase these balls, you find yourself just exhausted. And it's amazing to me, and it's interesting to me, because in Jesus' day, um, it was no different. Uh, he actually lived in a time remarkably similar to our own. And, and just like in our time, there are tons and tons of people with different ideas of what it means to live a good life and to be a good person. Uh, Jesus lived in a very pluralistic world, a world that had lots of people who had really good ideas of what it means to be good, and so just to give you a little, a little history, a little background. Uh, when Jesus walked the earth, there were some people. Uh, they were, um, you know, strong supporters of the Roman government, and they thought, you know, the Roman government, the centurions that policed your streets. If you grew up in Jesus' day, uh, they wanted you to keep your head down, to follow the rules, to pay taxes, and to trust Rome for your protection. So that's one group. As Jesus is walking the earth, they're saying this. Uh, some people. Uh, today we call them Hellenist, uh, Hellenists. Hellenists. Uh, these were Jewish people uh, that were convinced that um, they needed to kind of update what God had written in Scripture and, and get with the times. They wanted to combine um, the words of Scripture with uh, Greek and Roman philosophy to try and uh, Romanize uh, their faith. And they said, uh, "You know." We got to get rid of some of this outdated stuff and, and enlighten our ideals. So that was one group, the Hellenists. Um, another group that you hear about in the Bible a lot is the Pharisees. And the, the Pharisees uh, were convinced that they could probably still follow uh, Torah and get along with, with the Romans who were kind of ruling over them. And the Pharisees, they were trying to uh, keep everybody safe. Uh, they were saying, okay, you can still follow God and respect uh, the Roman occupiers. Uh, just be better at following God's law. And, and just like today, there was one group of people that said following God's law looks like this. There was another group, uh, the Sadducees, that had basically the same idea, but they had different ideas of what it really meant to follow God's law, right? And as you'd walk down the street, you'd encounter people that would tell you, don't worry about what all those other people say, this is the most important thing. And then you'd go 10 more feet and somebody else would say, don't worry about what all those other people are saying, This." is the most important thing. Keep your eye on the ball. In in Jesus' day, there was a group that called themselves the Zealots, and they thought the Roman occupiers were evil, and and good people, they'd fight. They'd fight Rome, and so they they would say resist Rome. They advocated violence against anybody that even uh, partnered with Rome at all. There was another group called the Essenes. They packed up all their stuff and moved into the desert and said, if you want to be good, if you want to follow God, come live in the desert with us. And no matter where you went, just like today, uh, somebody had a message for you. Uh, Somebody had a ball for you to look at. Oppose them. Follow me. Uh, Obey my law. Uh, Fight those people. Stay loyal to these people. Take a stand for this. And so when when Jesus came, uh, it's really interesting if you read the Gospels, you see him dealing with this in just about everything he does. Because everywhere he goes, uh, people are trying to figure out what team Jesus is on. They're trying to figure out if he's, if he's a Pharisee that thinks we should follow the law like this, or if, or if he wants uh, them to resist Rome, or if he's a, he's a collaborator. And so they're always asking him these questions, right? They're saying, uh, you know, Jesus, what do you think about paying taxes? And this is a, a chance to see what team Jesus is on. Uh, some of them will ask, well, Jesus, uh, is it okay to heal somebody on on the Sabbath? Or they'll say, hey, Jesus, why do you eat with those people that aren't keeping their eye on this ball. What do you think about this theological issue, Jesus? What do you think about this uh, moral issue? And if, if you read it, you can see people getting frustrated with Jesus because he keeps refusing to chase after uh, whatever uh, they want him to because uh, they're all just asking, you know, Jesus, what is your ball? Whose team are you on? And, and his answer... Um, was a little bit different than anybody else in his world that had a ball uh, for you to chase. And and it's captured well in in our passage today, Matthew 11, 27 through 30. And it's what we mean, at least a part of what we mean, when we say we want to be a church that's making disciples. Uh, So Jesus uh, says this, and it's it's just after um, uh, a godly person is like, are you really the Messiah? He says this a little later. He says, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Uh, it's a little complicated sentence, but what he's basically saying is that uh, God that made the world is my father. If you want to get to know who God is, come to me. Come get to know me. And, and then he invites. Uh, Jesus offers this invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary weary. And burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I know you're sick of chasing these balls. I know that everybody wants to put a burden on your back. I know you're tired of fighting for that team or keeping all these things moving. I know, uh, are you tired of figuring out how you're going to do everything that matters the most? Jesus says, are you tired? Because everybody has something that's the most important thing for you to do. And Jesus says, if you're tired, don't do a new thing, but come to me and find rest. He says, come belong to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, if you come to me, I, I offer you rest. And, and it doesn't mean that your life won't change at all, but the first step is, is rest. And he's saying this, you know, people are always going to want you to join their team. You know, they're always going to want you to share and like that thing or, or be on their side and they're going to value you based on how you answer those questions. But Jesus refuses to build any kingdom but God's. And he invites people to come and find rest with him. And it's, it's kind of the, this cycle. He's always inviting people to come closer to him. And he's offering them rest. And he's inviting them to come closer and to see who he is and to get to know who God is through him and then to find rest. And, and the Bible argues that by being close to Jesus, you can be transformed. Uh, not because you've figured out the right thing to do in every situation, and you just follow that ball, you'll be okay. Uh, not by adopting new behaviors or new things, but by literally getting to know Jesus and, and resting with him, uh, acting like him. And the church calls this uh, discipleship. Uh, at Bethel, uh, we're, we're calling it trying to be more like Jesus. But the first step in discipleship, the first step in being uh, transformed by him is resting in his grace. Uh, and, and if you read the gospels, you'll find that the people that follow Jesus, the people that we call the disciples, um, they all started here. Uh, they all uh, started uh, just like us with, with rest um, oftentimes in the church and all over the world, we want to make it about what you do and having all the right theological ideas figured out. Or, or sometimes, and it's sad to say, as, as a pastor, I see this all the time, and, and I'm guilty of this sometimes. Sometimes in the church, we make it about what you can do for the church. What you can do for, for us. And, and Jesus does transform our lives, right? does call us to serve and and transforms our behavior, but first, uh, before anything else, and over and over again, he invites us to come and rest in his grace. Jesus told his disciples that they were enough. Uh, He died for their sins. He died for our sins, and he offers us rest. He offers us rest from that voice uh, that drives us to to selfish actions. He offers us rest from that desire to to rule over others. Uh, He offers us rest from the many, many things that we feel like we should do, that we want to chase after, that we think are the most important thing. He offers us rest from the things that would enslave us. Being more like Jesus uh, starts with accepting rest and offering it to others. It starts by giving up on chasing the balls and figuring out what the most important thing is, and it begins with rest in a person. And, and for us at, at church, you know, this looks like two things. I think it looks like remembering that who you are and, and where you're at right now as a person, that's enough for God. Uh, And it's not forgetting that. Uh, It's not forgetting that while our lives change in discipleship and and while there are all kinds of ways to be more like Jesus, the start, the most important thing, is that he accepts us as we are. And on the other side, it it looks like um, extending rest to other people uh, and not using them to build our kingdoms or chase the things that we think are most important. Jesus offers us to lay down our burdens, and he says, don't you dare tie one on somebody else. Um, I, I grew up in the church. I, I've been a church kid my whole life, and I remember uh, as a kid growing up and, and throughout my life, um, oftentimes just searching, uh, looking to be sure, uh, wanting to be sure that I was like a good enough person for, for God. Uh, that I was Christian enough for God, that I was successful enough for myself, that I was good enough for other people, and I never felt secure. I always felt like I wasn't quite spiritual enough. I wasn't quite chasing that ball hard enough, and I would look for things to do. I'd look for, for things to chase and for burdens to carry so that I could convince myself that God was happy with me that I was moving fast enough for God to love me, to assuage my fears, and to finally be that better person. And I spent so long chasing after that as a kid. It took me a long time to believe that Jesus really means what he says when he offers us rest from our weariness. It took me a long time to believe Jesus' words here. That he really does want us to rest in him. That he really does offer us grace and that it really, really, actually is free. We say, if you want to be good enough, do more. Believe this. Vote for me. Work harder. Be better. Clean yourself up. Keep spinning. Trying harder. Join me. Support my team. Buy that. And it is exhausting. It's a heavy load because guess what? Once you finally catch that ball, there is always another one to chase. So instead, Jesus says, come to me and rest. Before you've done anything else, empty-handed and lacking in, in anything, come to me, weary ones, and you will find rest and at church, at the very beginning, uh, the history church, um, every time uh, Christians gathered, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together. They would eat the bread and drink the cup. In our church, we do it once a month. And, and one of the things that we're doing as we're eating that bread and drinking that cup in, in just a minute is um, we're not only remembering what Christ did for us, but we're acting out that grace and rest that he offers. Uh, He prepares this table for us, and when you eat that little little cracker that we call bread, and you drink that little cup of grape juice that we call wine, you're remembering that those things are given freely to you by Christ, that you're uh, participating in his sacrifice, that you are good enough as you are because of what he did for you. That you can come to this table or the table can come to you just as you are, exhausted and incomplete and inconsistent and falling short. That you can come lay down your attempts to be good enough. That you can forget all those little things that everybody thinks you need to be chasing and come and rest in him. So as we come to this table, may we remember the rest offered to us in Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, even though we turned our backs on you over and over again, you sent your son to live and walk and eat and die among us. He died for the things that we have done to create walls between us and you. He died for our sin and the sin of the world and he rose again, defeating death, showing us your power And life and promising us resurrection too. And you offer it all to us freely. Yes, Lord, you want to transform our lives. But we start by resting in your grace. Because you knew that there wasn't anything that we could do to get a little better and a little closer to you. So instead, you sent your son. And you offer us free rest and grace in him. Help us to remember that. Help us when we're doing important things and things that feel like the most important things. Help us to remember that we are secure in you. That you hold on to us when we succeed and when we fail. When we chase the right things and when we chase the wrong things. God, we thank you. As we come to the table today, Lord, remind us of who you are and who we are in you, your children. In your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at Bethelcov.org.